Father, what would you do in our lives if we waited? I've seen a change in my time with you ever since early Wednesday morning, 2.30 in the morning when I just confessed, God, I'm so sorry. I haven't, I haven't engaged into deep prayer and fellowship with you. It's been scheduled for way too long. What would happen? What would you do, God, if we waited? What would you do in our lives? Holy Spirit, I long to see that. I want to see people changed and people come to Christ. God, we want to see addictions broken. We want to see relationships restored. God, we want a burden for those who don't know you. We want a passion for your word and to fellowship with you. What would happen, God, if we waited? God, as we dive into your word with topics that I feel like if we've been following you at any, for any amount of time, God, we kind of know them, but Jesus, may this become new again. May this become new so we are renewed. So Holy Spirit, do a great work. We confess our need for you. Teach us and help us to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, amen. Starting at verse 11 of, of Titus, chapter, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Man, what a powerful time you all had last week in the Word. I loved it when I heard Robert go, we're doing one verse. I was like, that's my boy. Yeah. When you can just land on one verse, think about look what he just said. For the grace of God has appeared. Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. The grace of God has appeared. But for what purpose? Bringing salvation for all people. All people groups. When you take this and you go to Revelation, and I've brought this up so much, but you picture Jesus on the throne and surrounding him are saints who've gone before us who are from every people group on the planet, praising and worshiping Jesus in all these different languages all at the same time. And surrounding them are a hundred million angels who are surrounding the saints, who are surrounding Jesus, and that when we enter into worship and singing on Sunday morning, we're engaging in the exact same activity that's happening in heaven. So when you came in this morning, did you actually think, I'm engaging in the same activity as heaven? Or did you come in thinking, I'm just gonna sing? Oh, I like this song. There's nothing wrong with liking the song so long as you love the Jesus more than the song. Like it shouldn't just be, hey, we're here for a sing-along. No, I don't, I, don't like that. I don't like that key they put in, it's too low. Then sing higher. Oh, I can't hit that low note. Well, just pretend you can and sound awful. But may we keep our mind on, hey, I'm right now worshiping Jesus. I'm worshiping the lamb who sits on the throne. That salvation belongs to him, but surrounding him, 
people from all over the world, all different people groups, all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds, who came to surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus, all in unison, different languages, different tongues, worshiping him. And guys, isn't that kind of what Sundays look like around the world? That around the world, people from all these different places Worshiping Jesus, all these different backgrounds. Some places like where we can, we can do it freely. And other places they have to do it behind locked doors quietly so nobody hears them because they could get arrested or killed simply because they love Jesus. Different people groups, different tongues, all united because they're all focused on one thing, Jesus. I love the fact that it says that he was bringing salvation to all. It's not anything that we can earn, but he brings it. He brings the salvation for all of us. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Training us, discipling us. Guys, if you keep your finger there, in Titus and turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews, he just finished chapter 11, which talks about the, the hall of faith and those who've gone before us. And chapter 12, one to two is a pretty popular passage for those who've been brought up in the church. But then right after you talk about, hey, I'm gonna focus my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned in his shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Right after that, he goes into verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary against, oh, sorry, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. Guys, if you have a paper Bible and you're okay doing this, Underline that part, in your struggle against sin. Let me encourage you, follower of Jesus, if you're struggling against sin, you're doing it right. It's like, hey, it's not, it's not this, hey, I came my life to Christ, I've never struggled since. You're lying. How do I know? Because the Bible speaks completely against that. See, before Christ, I didn't have to struggle against sin, I didn't really know I had it. But then I get, I surrender to Christ and I get the, the Holy Spirit in me. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict me, to convict me of sin. But my question is this, are you struggling against it or are you just enjoying it secretly, quietly? Well, Jesus is love, Jesus is grace, I can do what I want. Tell me a place in the scriptures where it actually says this, you surrender to Christ and then you get to tell him what you're gonna do and what he should do in response. That's not what it is. Friends, as long as we keep looking at what it is the scriptures teach and deciding, hey, which part do I really wanna do? And which part don't I? Until we come under, under the scriptures, like, okay, so God, you wrote this for us. And I believe this to be your word. And until I come under the authority of scripture, I can continue to justify actions that completely go against God. I know it says that, but when I was back in the day, that's a long time ago. He can't expect us to keep living like this if the culture's changing. Of course he can. Because the culture might change, but the God of the universe never does. But friends, how can we know what the scriptures say unless I say it all the time, unless we're actually in the scriptures? 
Guys, a verse of the day theology is not going to cut it. Getting a verse emailed to you, those are fantastic. But you ever notice they'd always say something very positive. Very rarely do they come out and say, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I don't really see that verse come out very often. And yet that was Jesus' message. When the scriptures record what it, is, what it is that Jesus actually preached, his first message as he goes out was not for God so loved the world. In fact, he said that to one guy. His first message was this, repent. Repent, turn away from sin, turn to, turn to Jesus. Repent, turn away from sin, go to Christ. Repent, why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. But isn't it kind of popular today? You turn away from sin because if you turn away and you go to Jesus, your life will be blessed. You'll get all this stuff. Instead of it just being like this, God's saying, I want you to turn from sin because I told you to. No, that's not good enough. That's not good parenting. But he's a good king. You ever wonder if we start to dumb down God because we just want him to be our father, but we don't want him to be hallowed? We just want him to be father. We can kind of get away with some things with father. Dad doesn't know everything you've ever done. Maybe it could kind of sweet talk dad, but here comes the hallowed part, the holy part. Guys, I don't know about you when I read the scriptures from cover to cover, it seems like God's in charge. And it seems like when people just rebel against him, sometimes he takes some really drastic steps. Guys, all of a sudden I see 3,000 people die because they rebelled against God. See, I don't like that God. You got an issue with him because that's the only God we got. Yesterday, we got a knock at the door. And I don't ever want to be one of those pastors that's like, so I just, like arrogantly sharing this story, but got a knock at the door just after, I don't know, like 9.30 or 10. And they were standing really close to the door. Most salespeople, they'll knock on the door and they'll walk really far back. So when they're that close at the door, I'm kind of like, I'm getting ready to kind of battle. Like, I don't know, are you going to try to bum rush me in the house? Do I get to just elbow you like a pastor? Like, what's going to happen? And so when I open the door, there's two guys standing there in suits, holding their Bible. And the guy didn't even introduce himself, didn't even tell me his name. He said, hey, it's great to see you. Can I read you a couple verses? I said, well, sure. Most, a lot of times, and I'm, I'm, I say this in confession, a lot of times that happens and I'm going, God, I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to talk right now. And I was like, nope. God, you hear it. What's cool is sometimes you just bring opportunities to the door. And now there's two guys. And so they just start, he brings up a couple of verses. And one of them is talking about the righteous will inherit the earth. The other one's that the wicked will perish. And he, goes, he said, do you know what those mean? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> I said, the righteous will inherit the earth. But none of us are righteous unless we surrender our lives to Jesus. And Jesus is fully God, not a God like you think that he is. And that the wicked, that everyone has sinned, and none of us get to say that we're not wicked without surrendering our life to Christ where we can be in right relationship and we can't have righteousness because of Jesus, who's God, they will perish. I said, well, what do you guys think about Jesus? Do you think that he's God? And they said, no, well, we think that he's the son of God. I said, yeah, but the son of God. And then it turned into like this 10-minute conversation. And as they kept trying to bring up verses, and it was, again, I'm not, I used to kind of tell these stories like, yeah, so I just jacked them up. I just spiritually elbowed them in the neck. And it's like, like I won and they had nothing. So, but I don't want to come across like that because then my heart hurt for them when they left. 
And I just started saying things. And I love that it just, it just all came out of quiet time. It wasn't, hey, I took a class that taught me how to defend my faith. I wasn't defending my faith. I was just talking about the Jesus that I adore. And it really frustrates me when people try to come and they try to downplay Jesus. So I just started saying things like, okay, so wait, I know you like these verses, but in your, in your Bible, doesn't it say, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. That's exactly what it says. I said, but it's not there. That little A in the Greek is not in there. So what you're doing is you're changing the whole meaning of who Jesus is by taking out one little word. Here's what it actually means. And all of a sudden you kind of see them going, oh my gosh, this guy actually knows this stuff. Maybe a little bit. And so I say, hey, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And that God created everything. And you sit there and go, then I ask, so what do you say about that? Well, we know that he's mighty God. I said, well, that makes me think of Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. I said, hey, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Everlasting father doesn't mean that he's the father, but what it actually means is he's the creator of everlasting. But that part when it says mighty God, how is Jesus could be mighty God when in Isaiah later on it says this, there are no other gods I know of not one. So are you polytheistic? You believe in more than one God. And yet God would say that's not possible. So how do you take John 1, 1, and you take Colossians 1, 15, you take Hebrews chapter 1, starting verse 3, you put those all together, and you see the divinity of Jesus. When Jesus uses what? He uses the title, he uses the title, Son of Man. That's a reference from the book of Daniel. It's pointing to the fact that the Son of Man is God. And they left. <laughs> they didn't want to talk anymore. And I used to think this, ha, I won. And then my heart hurt. And last night I just started praying for them and I wish I remembered their name and I said, God, I'm so sorry, I don't remember their names. Because here they are there and they're fully convinced, think about it. They're fully convinced that they're right and they're out there sharing their faith and we have the truth and when's the last time you did it? Brian, it's not my gift. I don't know when we thought that sharing, let me change it. I don't know when we thought that bragging about Jesus was all based upon a spiritual gift rather than the fact we just love him a lot. And we love people and we really want them to know Jesus. It's just about bragging about him. Guys, when you get to this passage in Hebrews and where it just talks about training us up, verse five, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or as kids? And he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you or when you're reproved by him, when you're corrected or you're encouraged by him. Friends, if you can't remember the last time you were corrected by the Lord, then you're not listening you're kind of dictating to what it is that, you're dictating to him what it is that he should actually approach you on. Say, so, well, Brian, some of this stuff bores me. Suck it up. Like, we need to get over that boring thing. Like, this is God speaking to us. It's like, I want to make sure you get this. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Isn't that beautiful? Like, he'll love us enough to tell us we're jacked up. He loves us enough to tell us, hey, you're missing the mark. Hey, he loves us enough to tell us when we are in active rebellion and sin against him because he loves us that much. 
And friends, he's not speaking, he's not writing this letter. The author of, this, of, the, writer, of the book of Hebrews, he's not writing it to non-Christians. He's writing it to people who say they follow Christ. So he will discipline us. Will we repent? He chastises every son whom he receives. He says, it is for discipline that you, have, that you endure. I'm sorry, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there? whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And then he gives this example of earthly dads. By, besides this, have we, had, we have had earthly fathers. I'm gonna stop fighting it, friends. I'm putting on my cheaters. Okay, here it goes. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Dads, listen to that phrase and feel encouraged where God sits there and goes, I know you're just guessing. And you sit there and go, thank the Lord. You're doing your best, right? As what, as what seemed best to us. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Now listen to this, this is so encouraging. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Is anyone remotely encouraged by that? Like it's not comfortable. It's like all discipline is painful. But it's for our good. Like God is doing something in us because he loves us enough to what? Hurt us. To train us up, to discipline us, to confront us, to rebuke us, to reprove us. God loves us enough. That means he's engaged in all of our lives, all day, all week. He loves us as a good father does. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Guys, that means that God is doing a great work. Even if you don't see it, even if it hurts, God is doing something great. So friends, we can ask, God, would you please take this away? Would you please take this away? And if he doesn't, then we trust that the Lord is doing something great through it. Instead of questioning whether or not God is able or whether or not God is good or whether or not God is great, we don't jump to those conclusions. We just sit and go, God, if you want to, you can. If you want to, you can change this. If you want to, you can take this thought or this feeling away. You can do whatever you want, but you have it. It doesn't mean I can't keep asking you to take it away. I'll keep asking, but until you take it away, this is what I'm gonna say. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my prayer as I surrender Surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. God, it's about you and your kingdom. It's not about you making sure that my life is only, quote unquote, blessed in the way that I think it should be. It's about me saying, Jesus, you're king. I'm not. You are author and creator of my faith. I'm not. Everything belongs to you. We stand in worship, in awe of your goodness and greatness because you're God, we're not. So we submit your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, that's what we come back to. We come back to that. 
And so in verse 12, if it says training us to renounce, to deny, to repent from all ungodliness, all, for instance, let me pray. Let me pray real quick. Let me just ask something. Holy Spirit, would you convict us? Would you convict us? That we could confess to you the ungodliness that we're accepting is okay and to repent from it as you train us up in righteousness. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Friends, can you admit it? Like, can you look at God now and go, God, I have this desire to do something that's ungodly. Or have these passions in me, these desires in me that have nothing to do with righteousness. Are you at a place in intimacy with your father that you, you can actually tell God, God, this is what I'm thinking and feeling? Yeah, I was a follower of Jesus to confess those things and not to feel what? Not to feel condemned because you have them, but you feel free to confess them that you can repent and enjoy Jesus. And to hear him tell us that we're forgiven? Are we at that place in our relationship with the Lord? Friends, we should be asking every day, Holy Spirit, would you convict me of anything that's ungodly? And any passions that go against your word, they go against your truth, they go against your righteousness, to confess them and then repent from them. Every day we should be asking that. Does anybody else see now why the scriptures say you should pray without ceasing? Because we could pray about this stuff all day. But we're being trained up to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. See, it's not just about renouncing evil, but it's actually about also running toward good. It's one thing to just say, I don't want to do bad things anymore, but are we moving toward the good? I feel like a lot of times, like picture this, this line here. And say this is the sin side over here. This is the righteous side. Sometimes I wonder if we get as close to that line as possible. So we can kind of lean over and kind of hear what's going on. Well, I'm not doing it, but I, I'm right here. Like it's kind of splashing on my face and I'll wipe it off and I feel okay. But what if Jesus meant so much to us? Because I promise you, he's not just sitting here on sin going, it's okay. What if we loved Jesus so much we didn't even care about the line? We didn't care, we just walked way over here where he is. Like what if we did that? Rather than, well this is what I struggle with, one thing's fine. Isn't it weird when one thing's fine, eight things become fine? And 28 things become fine rather than wanting to be trained up, trained by the Lord that we would be living lives that are righteous, self-controlled, upright, and godly. Oh, this is going to be humbling. Ready? Who here hits the gym on a regular basis? Not the gym where you work out on a regular basis. I knew Eric. I could tell, man. I could see it in your face. You work out, right? Does anybody do the workout? I saw some hands go, ah. It's like, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. 
Does anybody, does anybody do the workout that I used to do where you just kind of walk the treadmill for like a mile and a half and you got a donut in your hand? Or you work at it in a way where it looks like it hurts, but it doesn't really. And you ever seen that person in the gym, and maybe you're that person, and you need to repent from this, but you see that person in the gym, they're just making sure the whole place knows how heavy it is. They're just screaming, ah, ah, and they're just going crazy. You're like, oh my gosh, it's like 10 pounds. You're really struggling. But has anyone ever had that personal trainer that actually shows you what to do and all of a sudden you're applying it and it hurts? The first couple of weeks, you can't put your jacket on, you can't put your pants on, you just, kind of, you just wish you could walk around butt naked because it's too hard to put clothes on. But then after you get through those two weeks, what? All of a sudden you feel better. And you'll still work out and you'll still get tired and it's for our good. And physically we know that this is right, but why is it when we come to spiritually we just think this? I'll pray a prayer, I'll do a little bit, I'll read some, but I'm not gonna put too much into this. Why? Because it should be easy since God has to do it for me. Friends, he's training us up to live godly lives. If you're in the Bible reading plan, you went through the part where God is telling everybody how to make the tabernacle and how to make all the utensils and you're just sitting there going, why are we reading this part? But if you're reading it, did you notice the parts, how often it says, and you will make, 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 and I think that God is trying to get our attention when he's saying, hey, I've done so much, worship of me needs to be done in a manner worthy of me, but what you will do, you will make, you will make, you will make, you'll make time for me. You'll make, you will make, you will make. Guys, he involves us in the training process. trains us up for godly lives in the present age right now. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's coming. Is anybody jacked up for that? Like, it could happen any moment. I'm convinced, any moment, like, before the message is over, and somebody's sitting there going, please, yes. Yes, Jesus, come back. But think about it. Are we expecting? Is there this? I know it's coming one day. Isn't it weird? We have a conviction. We know Christmas happened. And God came as a person. But do we have the same conviction that his second appearing is coming? Because when you look at the way that he, that he describes it, waiting for our blessed hope. Oh, hope, expectancy. Not what we've turned it into, this, it's going to happen. Our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's another verse that talks about the divinity of Jesus. Did you hear it? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back one day. And he's not coming back as a baby. And it won't be all camouflaged and quiet. The world will know. Phones will be out, TikTok's going crazy. Everyone will have an opinion. Jesus is coming back one day, friends. There's our hope. If you're in it, and you're facing things that are hard, can I encourage you with what the scriptures actually, supposed, actually tell us that we're supposed to encourage each other with? The first thing, we're supposed to, I'm supposed to encourage you and tell you this. You're going through something difficult? Remember this. Jesus came back from the dead. Why is that encouraging? Because if he pulled off Easter, he can take care of the stuff you're dealing with. The second thing I'm supposed to encourage you with, it'll get better. I have no clue if it's gonna get better. For the rest of your life, you might have to deal with what it is that you're dealing with. I have no clue, but I can promise you this. 
Jesus is coming back one day. Until that day, I can promise you this, the Holy Spirit of God will be with you and in you. The presence of God is yours. No matter what you face, God is with you. Jesus is coming back. Verse 14, talking about Jesus again. Who gave himself for us to redeem us or to ransom us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Guys, that phrase, his own possession, you know what he's saying there? It's like, picture this. Say a country goes out to battle against another country. Country A wins. Then the king comes in and picks the best of what it is that he wants. That's what that word is. That's what that phrase is. It's what the king prefers. Out of everything, he's like, no, this is my possession. This is now mine. This is now mine. And so when you sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. That means the battle went on. Jesus declared war against sin and death and hell. Jesus went up against that. And he won. And out of that, we are his possession. Out of everything, he's going, these are my in the book of Exodus chapter 19, it's what he calls the Israelites. He said, they are my treasured possession. Favorites. Out of anything that he could want, it's us. Do you get it? How do I know he wants us that bad? Because he ransomed himself. He paid the ransom. He was the payment. He took the cross. Friends, it was so fun to get to tell students again over the last weekend, this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus endured. This is what Jesus had to go through in order that what? He could have you. He could have you back. What he endured, we will never get. We will never totally comprehend and understand. He paid the price so we could be with him because he wants us to be his treasured possession. Wow who are zealous for good works. Anybody else here, when I, when I read that part, I was like, am I really zealous for good works? Like, do I just wake up going, what can I do today? When an opportunity comes up or somebody's in need, they're around me, do I feel like I just gotta go help? Or do I go, Jesus, do you want me to help? Do you do that? There's an opportunity, do you want me to help with this? Do you really want me to help with this? Do you want me, you're, you're driving along, do you really, if you, want me to, if you want me to break my car down, make me park right behind, tell me. I'll do it, I'll do it, then you zoom by. I guess that wasn't the Lord's will. Or do I sit there and go, God, today, would you fill me with zeal to do good works, not because I'm afraid that I won't get heaven, but I'm just so excited that I already have it. Not because I'm afraid of what you'll do to me if I don't, but because I'm so excited for who you are and that I have you that I just want to serve and honor you with what it is that I do for other people. God, would you give me the opportunity? Would you give me a zeal and a passion to make sure that I'm impacting people? Or is it just a duty that we have to do? Just one more thing on the plate. One more thing in our life. Does anybody else here feel like you got way too much on your plate already? All oh, right, one of you. It's like it's just a smorgasbord. It's just like all these things get placed on. It's like, and they're all good, right? And then you just keep, and then all of a sudden your plate is like huge. And he's like, I got this. And you're trying to keep it spinning, but you can't keep it all on there, so then you feel guilty. And so what if we did this? 
We start with this, Jesus, you are the center of my life. We just sing it, right? Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, just be the center of this church. So there are things that I need to get away, I need to get rid of so that I can be zealous for the things that are actually the things that you want me to do. See, I believe that there are times where God's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Because I want you to focus on the main stuff. Friends, I don't think there's anything wrong with hobbies. I think we should have things that are downtime until we worship them, until we start pushing the things off that are called God. We push God to the side because I'm too busy with all these other things or activities or I got to get the kids to all these different things and sporting events and all these trips. It's like, I got to do this, 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 this. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts getting pushed to the edges. Guys, there's a danger in that, isn't there? You ever notice when COVID was around, you couldn't do anything? Did, any have, did anyone have better times than like reading the words? Like, what else am I gonna do? Brian's, it's like, if, hey, Brian's saying I should read the Bible. Of course we can read the Bible. We're bored. We're stuck in the house. Did anyone have great family Bible studies or devotions? Like, man, we finally did it. And then we get freedom. Boom, right back to what? The same things. The same things. Is it possible that God looks at our schedule and goes, I never told you to do that. And don't sacrifice, don't sacrifice me on the altar of busy. It's so big, guys. This is, I know it's a tough passage. You're probably like, can we just do one verse at a time? No, not today. Verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke. The word exhort means to encourage. It means to encourage but rebuke doesn't mean encourage. It means to call people out. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Wow. He's like, this is the message for everyone. Guys, there's parts, there's a part in Romans toward the, I think it's like 14, 15, somewhere in there, where Paul's like, hey, some of you guys have this conviction about certain days. They're important to you. And other people don't. And some of you guys have certain passions about what you eat and what you don't. He's like, instead of sitting there fighting about and making sure that everyone is in uniformity on those things, hey, you can have your own opinion on those things that are kind of secondary. But on the primary things, no, 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 we're united. This is for everyone. The grace of God showed up and redeemed us from our sin and is training us up that we would live godly lives set apart for God. And because he has set us apart and called us to be different, set apart, we will actually live differently and look differently in such a way that people should take notice. No? As I mentioned before, I love the fact that when I watched a video about Asbury, one of the first ones I, I watched, because it was shorter, was Channel 8 News in Kentucky. And the headline was, big story. And I went, yeah, that's a big story. What's the big story? Students haven't stopped praying and worshiping and confessing sin for the last 80 hours. And there's no big bands that showed up. It's like some dude picking a guitar. Just picking. Probably knows eight chords. Singing songs, people in there confessing. 
confessing what? Sin. Repenting from going to Jesus. Isn't it amazing? It's nothing spectacular, yet it's newsworthy. It's newsworthy that people would just keep worshiping the Lord. You sit there and go, oh, God's doing a great thing. But what if we made our lives in such a way that it wasn't newsworthy because it was so common? Because here we are just worshiping the Lord. We just worship and pray to him because we actually believe, hey, he came, the blessed hope, he's coming back. And until then, I'm just going to keep worshiping him and telling people about Jesus. And I'm going to keep fighting against sin. I'm going to stop justifying my sin. I'm not going to put it under the umbrella, well, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. And yes, he loves you enough to kick you in the tail and to get us out of that. Why? Because sin, friends, sin destroys. There is nothing redemptive about sin itself. We're redeemed from it. Not so we can go back to it. And all this so we could be his treasured possession. Friends, may we never get tired of that. May we never get tired of that. My prayer is that for those who need to confess like I did, God, I'm so sorry that I've treated you like you belong on my schedule. Rather than ignoring my schedule and saying, Jesus, whatever you want, however long you want to take it. And you say, Brian, I've got a job. Go to work and keep praying while you're working. Brian, I can't just sit there for hours upon hours. I know I can. Thank you for providing me with an income where I can just sit at Jesus' feet for a long time. I don't say that sarcastic. I say that thank you. And what if at times when we just need to veg? I just need to veg. You ever notice we need to veg every day? I mean, how much, how tired are we? I just need to veg. I need to veg. I need to turn my brain off. I need to turn my brain off. What if we just learned? What if part of that, what if part of the fasting that we do is I'm not going to just veg? I'm going to give up vegging for 44 days. I'm going to be intentional with my time. And what if I just sat in the presence of Jesus? Brian, what are you saying? What if you just sat in the presence of Jesus? What if you didn't read? Like, what if you come home when you want to veg? Don't veg. What if you just sit there? Brian, my kids won't leave me alone. I know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, you can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. They're like, Mom, Mom, Dad. Oh, my gosh. Maybe it's not good for you to sit there for three hours and ignore your children. So you're in a season where maybe that's not possible, but for others of you, it is, but we're just going to veg. We're going to watch the same show that does the same thing, says the same thing, ends the same way. All the while maybe missing out on maybe the fact that God's like, I just want you to sit quietly. Some of you said, Brian, there's a lot of reading in the Bible reading plan. I know. I know. It takes a lot longer. I know. Because what if God actually wants to teach us how to give him our time instead of us looking for the quick fix that will teach us the quick thing so we can change our lives and feel better. Isn't it amazing? You ever have a grandpa or a grandma who would tell you the same story all the time and they would take forever to get to the end? You're like, oh my gosh. Would you, have you ever said, would you just shut up and tell me? Have you ever said that to grandma? Because if you have, you should be shot. 
Grandma and Grandpa, they can say whatever they want, as long as they want. It doesn't matter. You keep talking. You keep talking. Why? Because there's just something about Grandma or Grandpa. It doesn't matter what they're saying. I just want to spend time with them because I love them. And what if we just spend time in the Word, not because we're looking for the nugget that's going to change our lives. We just learn to listen and to be with and to hang with and let him speak to us, even if he wants to tell us what the drapes are supposed to look like in the tent. Here's what the utensils are supposed to be made out of. Really? But then those of you who are artistic, who's the, art, the artsy people? Put your hands up. Be proud. Come on, arty, artists. Put them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's your verse. One of the first times I can remember where it says in the scriptures that God gave his spirit to anyone was when it was done with artistic people. Just read it here in Exodus. And God, and God says, and I will give them my spirit. Like I'll put my spirit in him, the leader of the artsy people. And then I will help them. I will, I will help them so that they can make everything that I have told you that I want to be made. Oh, isn't that good? That has nothing to do with the message. I just wanted to tell you. Artsy people, the spirit of God is on you. Non-artsy people, the Spirit of God is on you. Learn to enjoy sitting with Him. Don't rush Him. Don't rush Him. How do I know? Because He's taking almost two weeks with a bunch of students who just learn to just sit with Him. As the worship team comes back up. It's weird I say that and then I say we're going to close with our last song. But friends, what if, what if, what if we take to our minds and our hearts what we're saying and what we're singing, and then we respond appropriately in worship? Friends, I've heard people say over the years, you got to keep the worship services short because people's attention span isn't great. Think about it, everything's all quick and you can watch everything on your phone, you can binge watch like you want. So we just then go, okay, so keep it all short, keep it all short. Friends, how would you like it if all of a sudden someone invited you over and they said, just keep it short? Keep it short. I don't think that longer always means better. But when I heard, oh, no longer, no more than an hour and five minutes. Really? People just can't focus. And yet last week, how many of you sat your tail end on a sofa for four hours? Watching grown men beat the snot out of each other. <laughs> then you got all the cool commercials doing Super Bowl. Then you get the halftime, halftime show or whatever that was. Four hours. Friends, it's not about attention. It's about appetite. It's about appetite. Friends, we start to focus in on the Lord. You watch him change the appetite. You watch him change our appetite to where he's not just an addition to your life. He is what the scriptures say. When Jesus, who is your life, he is your life. Friends, that's where we want to move as a church community, that Jesus is our life, not just an addition to it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, would you convict me, and then anyone who can agree with this, would you convict me of any aspect of my life, any ungodliness, any pride, 
any stubbornness, any frustrations. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you convict me that I can confess those and have you burn those things up in your refiner's fire that I could run away from all ungodliness and worldly passions and in this present age live self-controlled, godly, upright. Father, I thank you for the movement of your spirit in places right now. God, I so want to see that happen. Not forced, just followers of Jesus who just love you and love your presence. Do things, God, that make the news, that leave us amazed. Jesus, thanks for redeeming us. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for being with us. And now, Jesus, as we, as we just focus in on you, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.